I am loyal to the end. I think you are too with Twitter. Um, people always underestimate Elon. I mean, he's a crazy guy, but uh, I think he doesn't really care if it turns into a platform with just a million people all banking and, and you know, he's taking it in a profitable, hopefully, direction. Uh, so it's almost inevitable that, that what it was, it couldn't be sustained because it was losing, you know, a buttload of money. Hello and welcome to Here in L.A., Park La Brea edition. Today, we talk with Richard Horgan. Richard is a writer, editor, and a celebrity news hound who has worked for TMZ and several other digital outlets that I bet you've clicked on. Richard and I have been Twitter f- f- uh, buddies from across the vast whatever for years and years and years, and we finally got to meet each other. We got to talk about Hollywood, celebrity, living in Park La Brea, and does Bill Maher get a little too high sometimes on his podcast? A problem you'll never hear here. So let's welcome Richard Horgan. Hey, everybody. We are here in Park La Brea, quote unquote. We're here in my apartment. But we're going to be talking about Park La Brea with Richard Horgan. Hello. Great to be here, Tony. Richard, how do we know each other? That's a good question. I was thinking about that coming over. I think we met just through Twitter. Yeah. When you were still with LAist, I think. Okay. So way back. Yeah. And, and we, you and I have similar sensibilities. Yes. Similar backgrounds. We both love uh, Hollywood, uh, both the, the place and the, the idea. Yeah. And, and that's kind of your expertise, right? Uh, I wrote, yeah, as a journalist in the last 20 years, I worked for filmstew.com. Mm-hmm. I was the editor of that website, and what's interesting is that was a site when it launched in the early 2000s, which was an everything website when there was no such thing. Right. Uh, the guy that started it, Sperling Reich, so he said, let's cover movies, TV, uh-huh. uh, Hollywood, let's have a script analysis service, let's have a screening series company, hmm. uh, let's also create a, a, an application that helps movie theaters and distributors connect. Wow. So he had this crazy umbrella. Yeah. And I ran all the content, and then I um, wrote a column for TMZ for a while. Did you really? There was columns on there? It's so funny. Um, Harvey Levin, through a mutual acquaintance uh-huh. at Telepictures, yeah. pulled me in in the fall of 2005 when they were just creating it. Wow. And... To start off, TMZ was a regurgitator, an aggregator. Yeah. And so I came in, and I remember uh, one of the first hits I got is uh, Harvey had me write a fluff piece about all these celebrities turning 60. Okay. So it was kind of like a garbage photo gallery sort of thing. Right. But it hit for some reason. Yeah. So I, I was on the golf course over Christmas, and Harvey Levin calls, Richard, we're getting blah, blah, blah. This is incredible. Was Harvey a, a fun guy to work with? Yeah, he is the most amazing guy I've ever seen on the phones. Oh, he can work the phones. In a way that's astounding. So you could tell him one little thing about this environment that we're in now. Say, hey, 
you know, the guy over there, I think something's going on. He might be doing drugs. He might, that's all he needs. Gets on the phone, <laughs> you know, phones the leasing company, uh-huh. the neighbor, and within an hour, he's got the story. It's funny you say that because I used to date a, a woman who uh, was a concierge. Thank God she's been a concierge at several places, so nobody will be able to guess this one. And she got a phone call from him saying, I know this celebrity is there and I know he's sick. I need to talk to him. Yeah. Turned out he was there and he was sick. He was in town to go to like Cedars, I guess, to get get worked on. And she didn't know to the extent of how sick he was because he, she just noticed him and was like, mm, he doesn't look so great. Harvey knew and yeah. called the right place and tried because she's a pro. She was like, come on, Harvey, you know, I can't connect you. Yeah. Harvey uh, is fearless. So he taught that art to people. Um, in answer to your question, I wrote a column called the Z list uh-huh. where I picked the five celebrities that had had the worst part of the week <laughs> and, like and made fun of them. Uh huh. And it came out Saturdays. Yeah. Unbylined because from the beginning, Harvey's strategy was I'm not giving bylines to anybody. What's that, what's that all about? Uh, it just brands TMZ. I see. So everything said TMZ staff. Do you agree with this? Uh, it's worked for him. I know, but but I, I think there's some cowardliness when, when it is a staff uh, byline. Because you want... I, I feel like a, a, a proper journalist, a pro journalist, puts their name on it. Even if it's a staff, just put all the staff on there. Right? I, I agree. In fact, there was... Only one guy at TMZ, Johnny, I'm forgetting his last name, who got it in his contract uh-huh. that he had a byline. Okay. So for years, TMZ had no bylines except for Johnny. Interesting. And what so, happened? So none of yours were bylined? No. So no one knew that I was writing this column. Oh. And when Harvey decided to tilt the website to original content. Yeah. I was at the meeting when he sort of announced we're not doing Daily Mail type stuff anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, he then decided that my column was too offensive to publicists because he was Hopefully trying to... Was. Yeah, he was trying to switch and curry favor and kind of get all the sources, you know, right. snagged in. Yeah. So he said, Richard, I'm sorry, we're going to have to um, end the column. And, you know, here's a pivotal moment in my life. I- I'm sure you've had several, Tony, in your career. Of course. I'll tell you what, though, Tony. I mean, not Tony, Richard. Um, <laughs> you can come on full time for ninety grand a year with benefits. This is in two thousand six. Okay. And I said no because because um, I could see the trashy way the the, the thing was going, and I just mm. I, I I don't think I can do that. Yeah. But many times since I've thought, <laughs> wonder what would have happened if I said yes? Would I have survived? Because you know Harvey's a taskmaster. Yeah. If you don't keep it up, keep delivering the scoops, mm-hmm. doesn't matter how much he loved you that month that he hired, you know, you're gone. So I, right. I might not have lasted more than a few months. You know, and I feel like, and I'm, I had no idea that your history with TMZ was like this, because I've been fascinated with, by them for a long time, um, in part because they do get the scoops, and they also don't get the respect of, of the other journalists around LA, which is whatever, you know. He gets the scoops. And if that is the game, he does win that particular game. Now, in the early days, it feels like when they were wrong about things, about this scoop of somebody dead or whatever, 
they would just delete the story, never apologize, never clear it up. But I feel like over time, they stopped doing that nonsense. That they they had fewer uh, mis, uh, misunderstood stories or whatever it was. They didn't have to delete anything. Yeah, I think they've tightened it up. Um, you know, they definitely pay a lot of sources. Which, okay, let's talk about that. I think that's okay. I think it's okay as long as the journalist continues to be the journalist and fact checks that that paid lead, right? Yeah. yeah. Because a source deserves, if, if the writer, the photographer, the editor, if everybody else is getting a, getting a, a couple bucks, shouldn't the guy that or the woman who, who gave you the story get a couple bucks? I agree. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if it's law enforcement, mm-hmm. medical personnel, then it gets a little dicey. That's right. However, some of them still do it. I know. Um, and, you know, then I, I was a columnist for Fandango, the ticket service. How about that? Um, well, hold on. I'm still, yeah. I'm still, a, 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 we got a TMZ uh, OG in the house. <laughs> Were you in the newsroom when Rihanna got beat up? No, no, I was long gone. Because I was at the LA Times when that happened and they published the photo. And one of the uh, veteran journalists there said, this could have only come from one place, mm. the police. And anybody who has any sensibility knows you can't publish this because it's, first of all, it's evidence that she's going to be using against Chris Brown. And it's also private. It just happened. And so you, you kind of have to ask permission for it. And so... That seemed kind of dirty. Would you agree that that is the inappropriate thing at that moment? Yes. Wait I a would. day or two? I would agree. Um, yeah, there was no waiting with Harvey. And <laughs> with his background, too, as a lawyer, a lot of his sources are at the legal end. Oh. So anyone legally who's connected with the defendant, the plaintiff, and remember, there's a lot of entertainment attorneys, too. Sure. That represents someone alongside a manager and an agent. All of all of Century City, right? Right. So a lot of his stuff, you know, that looks like it has cop fingerprints, um, you know, bouncer nightclub fingerprints. Yeah. It's it's from the assistant at the legal office because they want to tilt the scales, they or they want to get the narrative out first. Yeah. That, that my client was the victim and not the aggressor. Yeah, and and also that. You know, these attorney offices are dealing with Harvey all the time (laughs) on 20 different stories. Yeah. So in that whole accordion of stuff, you know, there's favors that he does, favors that they do. And in the middle of it as well, a guy saying, hey, uh, you know, Rihanna just got photographed. I'll give you this for a thousand bucks. It was that cheap sometimes? Oh, I don't know. No. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, a thousand bucks is a thousand bucks. Yeah. And all they're doing is, is emailing a picture. Yeah. And if it's legit, he pays, and that was a legit pick. Ay, ay, ay. Interesting. So, okay. Harvey has recently sold TMZ. Uh, TMZ, yeah, was sold back to uh, Fox. Yeah. Telepictures Which I think, sold it. I think it was a win-win on both sides, right? Yeah, I mean, people were surprised that it was only $50 million. You know, thought that that was a little low. Where do you establish the value of? If, if Harvey's not there, is it the back catalog that that has no, still? No, I don't think so. Right. So what are you buying? You're yeah, buying you're, the brand, right? Yeah, you're you're buying the current brand. You know, Harvey's getting up there in age. Yeah. 
uh, but he's someone who strikes me as a person who'll keep doing it for as long as he can. Oh, you think he's going to stay in the gig? For a while, yeah. Okay. Um, and then, you know, he spun off the tour bus business with his uh, significant other and had his significant other running the whole TMZ tours thing. So, so he's still, he's, the, the Levins still have a, a hand in that, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. Because, and, and I don't know why I didn't see it coming before. It's a perfect spinoff. Yeah. And, you know, I think he's happy to be back in the Fox fold. Um, Telepictures, which had Ellen as well before she retired. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that they were a good or a bad place for him to be, but I think Fox kind of feeds in to more like-minded outlets, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and again, it's very clever. You know, they've got 2fab.com too, which, which is a completely opposite of TMZ website, but that's where they funnel all the milk toast celebrity stuff. Right. And it's all, you know, um, hitting the same bottom line. Well, if, if you, if you can only serve 12 dishes at dinner, but you got 50 more in the kitchen, put them out there. Sure. And, and so, you know, I also like TMZ live. Did you ever watch that? Oh yeah. It's great. Because it, it gave me a little feeling of a newsroom even though it's it's cheesy or whatever, but but that's what goes down in a newsroom. What do you think of this? We just heard this, and I also like that Harvey surrounded himself with young people who often made fun of him, but he clearly wants to still be in the scene and want to know what what the rapper is saying today. Who's the newest person? And um, I have that feeling inside. Do you? Yeah, I I thought. You know, when it started, and, and it still continues, obviously, TMZ Live is the strongest part of the brand. I totally agree. Uh, the website, when you read it, is almost laughable. I totally you agree. 120-word items, <laughs> poorly written. Yes. And Bold stuff for no reason. Yeah. 20-second videos. What I like about his videos, though, is he, he doesn't put a lot of uh, ads on, on the front end. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got to click a couple before you get an ad. I don't know if people just don't want to advertise with him, which I can understand. <laughs> and I, I bring that up because um, I thought that Harvey uh, stole a little bit from uh, Celebrities Uncensored at E! Because I was working at E! in the mm. early 2000s. And I loved that show. And it was just gangs of uh, camera crews uh, walking up and down Hollywood Boulevard, seeing what they could see at 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Which is shooting fish in a barrel. And it's um, too lowbrow for the actual news stations. And for some reason, Extra and Entertainment Tonight didn't want to go there. But it was sitting right there. And Harvey kind of expanded on that a little bit. Yeah, he brought a lot of his crew over from Celebrity Justice. Oh, right. So a lot of his producers, uh, Jillian Sheldon, Uh who was one of the go-to people on the half-hour TV show in the beginning. Yeah. You know, they all kind of migrated away gradually. Uh, they either got better jobs somewhere else or they just went, I can't take this anymore. Right. Because um, Harvey's a difficult guy to work for. Is he really? Yeah. Yeah. Because he wants so much all the time? Yeah. Super demanding. Mm. Um, and... Uh, but it sounds like he pays okay. 90 grand in Yeah, that, that was an amazing offer. You yeah. Know? And that was when they were still in Glendale mm. over on uh, Victory. You know, then they moved to... Um, uh, Crescent Heights and Sunset. Yep. Top of that building. And then now they're out in like Playa del Rey. Uh, you know, because Harvey that, got to a point where he could make a move closer 
to his PCH digs. He was tired of commuting. <laughs> he also looks like he's in good shape. Was he in good shape when you were? Oh working? yeah, he's a workout fiend. Mm-hmm. Uh, his routine, you know, when I when I was working with him, and it hasn't changed. I don't think he's in the gym at like four a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, watching the Chiron of, of cable <laughs> news and into his black Porsche at five, and into the office at you know five thirty. And you know, it, it's it's like it's it. I think it's easy to shit on him, but he does get the scoops, and. Um, I wish there was a scoreboard somewhere of celebrity scoops. He would be like way ahead of everybody else combined. Don't you think? Yeah. I, you know, in my humble opinion, um, Harvey Perez Hilton Mm -hmm. and Nikki Fink Mm -hmm. are the paradigm shifters. Yeah. You know, Perez did it almost in a way that TMZ did, but you know, I think TMZ stole some of it Mm -hmm. from Perez and then, you know, Nikki uh, Fink, we all know about her. Uh, right. And, you know, those three people, the impact they've had yeah. on the way Hollywood and celebrity is covered is just incredible. The, the, I'm so glad you, you brought up those, those other two. What I find interesting about those other two is they have had a demise. And I don't think Harvey has. Yeah. If he decided to retire today, he'd retire on top. Who's number two? Is there a number two right now? Who's number two? That's a really good question. I don't question. think there's even a number two. And, and this is why I think it's disingenuous yeah. of, of traditional media for not giving Harvey his due. And why they're going to wait till he's dead. Which I've always hated. Yeah. Like, give the people props while they're alive. Give your peers, give the people who've kicked your ass the love that they deserve when they're not only on top, but when they've stayed on top for decades now. I agree. It's almost, you know... Uh, since we're in the aftermath, just a few days of Sinead O'Connor's death, right? That same approach, you know, they're all gushing about her now, right? And you know, Morrissey in particular chimed in and said, "Save it." He did. You hypocrites! I you know, know, none of you were there for her for years, and kind of with Harvey, it's the same thing. It's like, does it really hurt you that much to just say the guy has perfected this cocktail of? you know, uh, intimidation, charm, uh, you know, paying sources, paying sources. I mean, when I was at TMZ, that was always a big thing where, you know, every week they'd have to go and settle the books and it was all cash and, you know, (laughs) you know, you had to do it in in a certain way that it didn't jeopardize the person who got the payments. It was a whole art. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, So, and you know, a lot of people wouldn't want to do that as part of their operation. Yeah. Well, especially if they're if they're quote unquote real journalists, <laughs> because that's that's just not that's not taught. In fact, it's it's taught against. Yeah. And and the theory is if you pay somebody, maybe they'll make up stuff to in order to get the money. But everybody should be verifying their source, no matter who it is. Yeah. And so, um, what I also like about uh, TMZ and Harvey, and then we'll move on, is he surrounds himself with lawyers on that show. <laughs> so it's. It, which is also genius. When I was at the LA Times, I was in Carlene Geller, uh, uh, the 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 attorney for the LA Times, every day, because I was like, "Is this kosher? Are we going to get sued? Are we going to get in trouble? Will we win if we get sued?" Because because her whole thing, she was like, "Stop asking, are we going to get sued? We're going to get sued, but are we going to win?" Ah, yeah. You know, we're, well, yeah, we're such well a big put. company with alleged deep pockets. We're target. Yeah. So make it easy on me, Tony. You know, cover, cross your T's and dot your I's so that if, if, if it does come to it, we're going to win. And so that's why I was there all the time is I wanted, I didn't want to be um, uh, a liability to the company. 
And so I love that Harvey has other lawyers on camera talking about this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, when I was there back in the early days, they had a lead attorney on staff who was vetting everything. Good. And, um, you know, I basically left just as the Mel Gibson uh, police report, you know, the thing that broke him wide open. Right. The PCH arrest report. The anti-Semitic drunken moment. In the daytime, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was early evening. He was drunk in the day. Yeah. Not a great look. And, you know, that was, I mean, that just sent him into the stratosphere. Yeah. Let's talk about Park La Brea. Sure. This is what, I, I want to talk about Park La Brea for a couple of reasons, because... From afar, it kind of looks like a housing project, and not in a good way. <laughs> but because of where it's situated there in the Miracle Mile area, very close to the Grove, once you drive around it, you're like, these aren't people on welfare. In fact, some of these people are wealthy. So it's, is, it a, uh, is it a public housing for the rich, for the middle class? What is it? And, um, and then, as an Uber driver, when I'm trying to pick up people... There's gates that close that you have to go through a guard, but then there's all these other gates that, I mean, so I guess my question is, did you feel safe in there? It's kind of gated, but it's not really gated, right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I lived there from 93 to 2003. Oh, cool. So a different era. The Grove was built a few uh, years after I left. Yeah. It was under construction when I moved. Mm-hmm. Um quick story about how I wound up there. Um, I moved from Canada and back in 92, 93, 94, some people will remember there was a green card lottery. Oh. And in those specific years, Canada was one of the big countries. There's like a hundred thousand per year for three years. So you had like Tony stand up comedians pulling up to mailboxes with like thousands of entries you know, and dropping them in the mail because there was no limit if you wanted to enter this thing. Oh. How many times you entered. Wow. You just had to put your information in a very specific kind of way on a three by five index card and mail it. I love this. Yeah. So that you did that? I entered because it had always been a dream of mine to come to the US. Oh. And as an afterthought, I entered my then girlfriend. Okay. She won. <laughs> Wait a second. Pamela Anderson was your girlfriend? (laughs) (laughs) So that's how lucky uh, my girlfriend is at the time. She won a contest. She didn't enter. Did she love you long time for this? Um, We got married. Hey! Because I couldn't get the green card. Oh my God. Unless we got married. You anchor babied yourself. That's right. So Congratulations. we, we decided to come down in the fall of... 1993. This is the craziest story. And if you'll remember, the riots that just happened in 92. Oh, yeah, true. Malibu was on fire in the fall <laughs> of 93. Uh, brush fires up in the mountains. But it was one of the biggest. Well, it, it, fires and then followed by mudslides. Yeah. Because they had all cleared out from the fires and then it rained that winter and then there was mudslides. Yeah. It, I mean, hundreds of houses. You know, it was, it was just like the more recent Woolsey fire is one yeah. of those. Yeah. And then um, 
the Northridge earthquake hit two months later. Oh my God. So we got triple whammy, but we had set up an apartment through a friend of ours, uh, that we were going to move into called the Studio Colony okay. on oh, Vineland. Malibu? No, on Vineland, just north of Cahuenga. Um, in, in North Hollywood? In, uh, Studio City. Okay. Very much a Melrose Place kind of joint. Yeah. We get there. So we drove with a U-Haul, you know, Beverly Hillbilly style. <laughs> from, from what, Vancouver? Uh, Toronto. You came all the way from over there? We came through Detroit. Uh-huh. And, you know, one funny little thing I remember so vividly is if you're driving a big U-Haul full of stuff, you have to go through a, a separate checkpoint. Yeah. And, you know, it had taken us days to pack that truck. <laughs> we had house plants and, every, you know, everything. Yeah. And we're in line, and there's a drill sergeant, buzz cut, vicious dude at the desk. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a worry wart, but I'm just looking at that guy going, we're screwed. Yeah. And then, you know, the line inches forward and, you know, two people away from getting him, his shift ends. And this kindly old grandma, woman-y type rubber stamps everything. Uh, Richard, do you believe in God? Uh, no. So what, what do you attest this to? Just plain luck? Yeah, plain luck. Okay, fair enough. And, you know, we, dro- we drove out and at one point I was so tired from the driving that I took the U-Haul through a ATM drive-thru and didn't double-check the clearance and bashed what they called grandma's attic on those U-Haul yeah. trucks. You know, when we dropped the truck off in L.A., the guy took one look at the truck and he turned and I, you know, back to me and went, do you have insurance? You know, did you take insurance? And I went, yeah. He went, you're lucky. Because it was just massive damage. You know, I just crunched the thing. Right. But uh, when we got to Studio Colony, yeah. they had our cashiers checking everything. Um, cockroaches in the kitchen drawer when my wife pulled it open. Mm. She said, we're out of here. Right. Uh, crashed with a friend in Marina Del Rey and wound up in Park La Brea, long way to your question. Okay. Which at that time, because of the riots yeah. and everything, it was a ghost town. It was elderly was Koreans oh. and desperate leasing agents. They could not give away these apartments. Do you remember how much in 93 they were going oh, for? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Ours was reduced. So we got a two-bedroom, uh-huh. two-story garden unit with a backyard for 900 Incredible. Yeah. Uh, when, when you say two-story garden, so th- these aren't the towers. No. These are, if, if I'm taking, is that 3rd Street? Uh, we were right by the 6th Street entrance across from the tar pits. I but, see. But yeah, it's a mixture of these two-story townhouse kind of units. Yes. And the towers. It's two very distinct kind of environments. And, and these townhouses are not uh, uh, fenced in. No. It, it, the doors open to the sidewalk, which then you can walk across the street to the art galleries, right? Yeah. That's awesome. 900 yeah. for a two-bedroom. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it was amazing. And... Um, there were a lot of elderly residents mm-hmm. back then in, in the towers. I remember uh, years later interviewing uh, an 88-year-old Hollywood Foreign Press Association member uh-huh. at her apartment in, in Park La Brea. You know, it was, it was that kind of person. Yeah. Uh, our neighbors, you know, one of our neighbors was a script reader for CAA and all that kind of stuff. It was really cool. Yeah. So it was a great place to live. Um, yeah. And... 
Let, let me ask you yeah. about the Grove real quick. Sure. Because I remember very clearly, but you never know. Memories are weird. But I remember that people in L.A. did not want the Grove. We felt that the Beverly Center was fine. Melrose was fine. We didn't need another mall. And, and I think people were also very nervous about the farmer's market being destroyed, and, um, which didn't happen, which was great. Do you remember any of this when it was being built? Um, you know, as I mentioned, I moved away just as it was being built. And, you know, mm. Rick Caruso had 24-hour crews going. It was really it. impressive. Um, if you walked around Farmer's Market late at night, they'd, ha- they'd have all the Klieg lights, and they'd have guys like at 3 in the morning. So it was, you know, continual shifts. Yeah. Um, I don't remember it so much for, for the Grove. I remember it vividly um, for the Americana. Do you? Because I, I happened to move to Glendale, and, you know, he then built the Americana. He was just, he's just keep following you. He wants to impress you. <laughs> and, you know, if Glendale is any indication, three city uh, referendum items had to pass for him to be able to you know, one was traffic congestion, mm-hmm. one was historical, and I forget what the third one was. Mm-hmm. And the Galleria threw every dollar they had to stop I, it. I'm sure. And he won by, like, all three ballot measures, mm-hmm. the narrowest of margins, like yeah. 51, 49. Like, it, it just squeezed through. So I imagine mm. in, you know, the Fairfax, La Brea, similar thing. Yeah. Where, you know, it was, you know, everyone was like, this is going to ruin it. You know... Okay, so so what's interesting is you did you have lived there, uh, Glen, Glendale. I go to the Americana to watch movies all the time because I'm an AMC person. And once they bought the Pacific uh, Theaters, that's the closest that that I enjoy. I, I enjoy going to movies there. I don't see a great deal of traffic there. He, I think he did a good job with the traffic. I don't know how, but it worked out. Um, Meanwhile, the Galleria, I don't think, is negatively impacted. No. In fact, if anything, people like me who have no intention of going to the Galleria, park at the Galleria, work our way through it, probably eat something, might shop at the... You know, oh, yeah. I think it, I think it's, it's a win-win for both sides. Do you? It's completely benefited the Galleria. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, Din Tai Fung is, is going to move into the Galleria. Right. So everything is just kind of morphing as one, you know, and, and uh, you know, they've spiffed up a lot of the Galleria, mm-hmm. so it feels more akin to the spirit of the Americana, and, yeah. and so, yeah, it's, it's been a huge win for them, so I don't know what they were thinking. Which, which is, well, I mean, I would be afraid. Yeah. I would be afraid. Who wants competition? And, and, and especially because mall culture in the USA is precarious right now. And so um, the the Eagle Rock uh, Mall is going to be torn down, and um, and so the the poor people of Glendale will only have one Target to shop at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know Park La Brea. Some of my memories too. Um, when when we got there, it, I mentioned we came in October '93. So November December, my wife. Now my ex-wife, but at the time my wife, she and I both wanted to work in the entertainment industry. I was kind of tabling my journalism career. Mm-hmm. We agreed nothing was going to happen in, in November, December. That it wasn't even worth pursuing a job. Yeah. So my, this is the way my wife's mind has always worked. She went, well, you know what? I'm going to get us on a game show instead, and we're going to win a honeymoon trip. Oh. 
we got on a game show and we won a honeymoon trip. What show? She got us on Shop Till You Drop. Love that show. Yeah. And we won the first trip they ever gave to Italy. <gasps> we went to Capri, Rome, Venice. I mean, it was like a deluxe trip. Richard, <laughs> am I going to have to do a two-hour episode here? All of your stories are so good. So here's my question about, about that. Because I heard in game shows, you should never accept the gifts because you get taxed on it. And you should just turn it in for cash and then buy the thing or, or the thing that you really want. What did you do? We took it all. The other prizes were pretty minimal. You know, there, there's a central airvac system, a pair of binoculars, like it was random. Uh, if I had to do it all over again, I might. You think that's the, the technique? Yeah, because. Not there's a lot of game shows anymore, but. Yeah, it's, it, it's you know, it's funny. Yeah, they're not as prevalent as they once were, but. Um, uh, so you, t- you kept the, the AC unit? Uh, we gave it to a relative because it was an installation you. package. You're a, you're a true Canadian. You're such a nice person, although you haven't said sorry at all. <laughs> we but, beat that out of you. But yeah, you know, so I don't know if you heard about this, Tony, back then. When did you come to the U.S.? Well, I was, I born, mean, sorry, I uh, was born in LA. D.C. I came to the, uh, 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 L.A. in 84. Oh, so you've been here a long time. Do you remember when everyone used to temp? Yeah. You know, today it's Uber, food delivery. Right. You know, task rabbit, you know, gig yeah, work. Yeah. But back then, you signed up with a temp agency. That's right. So that's what I did. And um, one of my great memories is I worked on the Paramount lot for a long time. <gasps> but I got to bike to work from Park La Brea. Oh. And the route that I would take was through Hancock Park. I would go yeah. second or fourth or first, like not third, sixth. And I was just biking by mansions to yeah. the Paramount lot. Yeah. So a lot of great. Great memories. What, what year is, are we talking in Paramount? That was 94. 94. What, what was Paramount putting out around then? Uh, I think uh, I th- Frasier. Oh, no, Cheers, I think, was still going. Uh-huh. It? I'm trying, you know, it, it's been so long since I've thought about this. I think Frasier was the big show. Yeah. Either happening or just about to happen. So, right. yeah, I think Cheers was transitioning to Frasier. Yes. And... Um, you know, the woman that I worked for, uh, Ann Daniels, was, uh, she rose to second in command at ABC mm. and then hit the glass ceiling. Oh. So she had sort of segged to her own production company mm. and she was partnered with uh, Henry Winkler. Hey! So the Fonz would come into the office every once in a while, you know, super nice guy. They were producing shows. This was a long time ago, so... Mm-hmm. Um, and uh who i hear is like the nicest guy in hollywood yeah yeah just very approachable down-to-earth guy you know the the few times that i kind of chatted with him let's let's talk about some of the other night if you want to how about we just list it the other nice people of hollywood that you've run across oh boy um that's a good question boy you know i i did junkets for many many years Mm mm-hmm where, where you were the voice behind the camera and, and the lights were on the, the, the talent? Uh, I didn't do TV junkets. I did print online. Oh, okay. So I would be sitting just like you and I are, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't on... Actually, they did give you the footage if you wanted it for embedding on the website or stuff. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's funny, Tony. I hate to say this, but 
What stands out is the people that weren't nice. All right, fine. Who were not nice to you? And it's not that they weren't nice, but I, I remember the worst slot was end of day. Right. When whoever you were interviewing had just had it. Yeah. And I remember getting Nicolas Cage. I was like probably the last guy interviewing him. I can't yeah. even remember what movie it was for. Uh-huh. And the entire interview uh, was about him getting his dinner reservation sh- sorted out. So he had an assistant to his side, and it was like, excuse, excuse me, just one, one more. Was, what? No, 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 I don't want that table. So, you know, it was like he was, he was already one foot out the door. Is there something wrong with me that that's the story I would have written? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. That kind of stuff, um, I'll never forget my first ever junket. I flew down here in the late 80s when I was still writing for a Canadian paper for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay. And uh, sitting, you know, those big junkets, they would have sort of banquet tables with six. I don't know if you've ever done that environment. I did it with the Beastie Boys. Oh, wow. So you know. I do. So, you know, it's all, you know, you're all sort of trying to beat each other up to get the question in. Yeah. And I remember asking Harrison Ford, (laughs) um, when he says in that film, he picks out the the callus that's the one that he has to grab and he goes, this is the cup of a carpenter. Yeah. And I went, I mean, this was a dumb question, I'll admit it. Yeah. Was that like an inside reference, kind of a wink to your background as a carpenter? Oh. That, you know, you would recognize this is the cup of a carpenter, you know, Jesus the carpenter. And he just like turned on me and went, what kind of goddamn question is that? Steven and I don't do inside jokes. And he just railed me. And you know what's, what's funny about that, Tony? <laughs> being railed one-on-one is one thing, but yeah. when there's like seven colleagues and they're all just like, their recorders are going and they're just like... <laughs> so, you know, he finishes. It's like about a 30-second rant. Yeah. And then there's a, a long pause and then someone goes, can we talk about the stunts or, you know, something? Uh, and it, it was very funny. Wow. But you know, lots of nice people, especially. Um, but, but, but hold on about yeah. Harrison, because you can't take that personally because he's no. like that with everybody, right? Yeah. And you, you knew that coming in. Were you a little intimidated coming in with the Harrison uh, interview? Um, not really. Uh, in a group setting, it's kind of fairly, you know, to me, non-intimidating. I, I asked because I had to uh, interview Bruce Willis, and their publicist the night before said, "By the way, here's his last couple interviews." where he just ripped people to shreds, like left wow. and right. And, and I was like, why are you showing me this? Do you, do you want me to cancel or what? And they're like, I just want to give you a little heads up. Make good questions. Yeah. Which was a, a fabulous tip because I had a couple jokes at the beginning. Like I was, I was more prepared because of that. But I was still scared. I don't want, who wants to get yelled at by talent? Yeah, you know, no, definitely in those one-on-one settings, it's intimidating. Uh, I think my favorite parts were the indie films where they gave you half an hour with the director. Uh, so as soon as you got out of that four minute sweat box, yeah. uh, Jeff Garland, you know, as I've been thinking of your question, he was one of the best interviews I had. Good. We just talked about, you know, curb and improv and, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, had this amazing conversation and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I remember the publicist, you know, this was a whole day of interviews and she came back to me later and said, Jeff just wanted you to know that was the best interview that, you know, so you, there are those moments like that where you go, Hey, you know, right. this is fun. Meanwhile, I bet Larry David's probably super hard to interview. 
yeah, I've never, yeah. you know, had an opportunity. I don't know to, if I want that opportunity. Yeah, that could be, that could, you know, you, you would definitely need to have Bruce Willis type prep for that one. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem with Larry David is he has been richly rewarded for having characters who are jerks. And so he can kind of almost adapt that personality now. And people are like, oh, you're doing a bit. Or yeah. maybe he's just angry all the time and dissatisfied. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. You know, your question about interviews has made me think also about an environment that I'd forgotten. But I don't know if you've ever been part of that. The big press rooms at the back of the Emmys, the Oscars, mm-hmm. which is probably the worst environment. Absolutely. And I remember I, I did the Oscars a bunch of years, the did Emmys. You? Which Oscars were you at? Uh, early 2000s. Okay. Ted Casablanca from E. Remember him? Absolutely. He would always dominate. He would sit front row and we'd, <laughs> he, he would have the great curveball. Bruce Bibby is his real name, but he, oh. he would have great curveball questions. Uh-huh. I mean, and they were good. I, I will yeah. give him total credit. Yeah. He would just, you know liven up the room with his questions but yeah you know thinking back to that environment and how torturous it was to listen to some of the questions and yeah i'll never forget one time i think it was the 2003 emmys uh john stewart came backstage it was his turn Mm -hmm. and i have never seen a celebrity in that environment and you know i was there enough times take as quick and intelligent control of the room as he did like it was just amazing to watch. It wasn't. Uh, it was like he. The first thing he did is there was a guy behind the camera, and he went, "Who are you?" <laughs> and asked, and it was some kind of military veteran that they'd brought in on a, you know, a special program, mm-hmm. and he had like a minute conversation with him, and then he was tuned in, and it was just. A, it was like, whoa, we need him to run for president, don't we? Yeah. Because he, he just is the master of all of that stuff. Like, I saw it when he had his MTV show. And, and he just, he's, he's just born to do this. Some people are, some people aren't. He was born for this. Yeah. And, um, and I, it sucks that you've got to be like that in politics these days. But it, it, I say it sucks because I don't think the Republicans have a nominee this year. Because Trump's the only guy that knows how to play that kind of game. And everybody else is still playing politics 1964, which is as long as I am smart and say the right things. <laughs> but Trump is is Trump is is the Harvey Levin. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's not playing by your rules. Oh, man, no. And so he's going to win all the time, even from jail, probably. Yeah, I mean, he split everything wide open. But but Stuart, uh, what what also was fascinating with me is I was uh, or about Stuart with me is I saw Bill Maher show a taping and I just happened to be walking past the green room and Stuart was just hanging. He wasn't on the show or anything. And he gets up and he's like, Hey, you want a cup of coffee? And he stands up and he's very short, (laughs) shorter than I expected. And and I was like, no, but I just want to tell you, I fucking love your MTV show. (laughs) He's like, you're the one. (laughs) Cause I guess he considers that a, uh, um, not a success for him in his career. Interesting. But yeah, just that exchange, again, highlights his kind of, uh, how attuned he is and intelligent and kind of, you know, just, he's one of those guys. I mean, there's not there's a no lot. There's no bullshit. Of, 
Yeah. There's no bullshit. He understands everybody there is human. He also probably knows I'm smarter than all you fuckers, especially on the mic. I'm better at the mic than all of you. Yeah. And so what is there to fear? What is there to be angry about? Nicolas Cage, you can get your dinner in a minute. You know, the, the, your work time is not over yet. Yeah, you know, I'm a big Dennis Miller fan too. Uh-huh. You know, who he reminds me of. They, they should get like Miller versus Stewart, you know, because those two guys, they're, they're respective wits and they're, yeah. you know, Miller's gone completely to the right. So you have he just has. this great... But my question, though, is Miller as <laughs> adept with his knowledge of politics as Stewart no, is? No, I don't think so. So it would be an outmatched situation. Yeah. Which is, which is too bad. <laughs> because I, my ultimate dream is to have a true debate show. A real debate show where people have time to talk, where um, the questions aren't uh, gotcha questions, you have time to research. And so when you do talk about abortion, let's say, something that's important... You don't have to live by your wits. You can say, well, I read this book and I, I saw this movie and I did this thing. And so here's my, my PowerPoint of it. And now what's your take? And like, let's have some educated debates in America. You know, uh, it, it seems like we used to on TV. We used to have a Dick Cavett show. Oh, yeah. Or, or, and in France, that used to be the number one show is when intellectuals would talk in a smart way. And I feel like Jon Stewart is right up that alley. Yeah. You're talking about, is that L'Apostrophe? Look at you go. Oh, that's right. You're Canadian. Yeah. I lived in Paris for a couple of years too. So. What? Yeah. That's, that's another show. But uh, yeah, that when you watch that show, you realize how different France is from the right. U.S. Because it's, you know, just, but oh man, the Dick Cavett show. Wasn't it a great show? Just one of my favorites. Yeah. And, and they say, well, there's no audience for that. And I don't think so. Well, Charlie Rose kind of took over that space. Right. You know, did you ever watch Kevin Pollack online? He I had don't a, think so, no. Kevin Pollack had a, a, a Charlie Rose type show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all archived on YouTube. It's great. So Big Round Table? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, one of the best things about that show is he did the Larry King game where uh, he just had his guests imitate Larry King <laughs> and then throw to a call in an obscure town. So they'd have to ramble for like five, 10 seconds yeah. and then, you know, go Poughkeepsie, right. Joanna. And it's just, yeah, it was a great show. But yeah, since Kitchener, Char- Ontario, <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> Kalamazoo, Michigan. <laughs> uh, since Charlie Rose got me too'd. Right. I, it's all podcasts. I mean, you, you know, it's Mark Maron. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's where you have to find it. E- even Bill Maher's podcast, which is. Really not the greatest. I still enjoy. I just watched, uh, you know, uh, Sharon Osbourne. Right. And, you know, it was mostly him talking, but it's still, you know, mm. podcasts, even when they're not very well produced or anything, they're still kind of interesting. My only problem with Mars podcast is I think he gets too stoned sometimes. He was really stoned on this one. You're yeah. right. I forgot about that. I haven't seen the, the Sharon one. I've seen previous ones. I love smoking pot. I, I like drinking from time to time. I just don't think on the mic is the right time. And, and I get that he's doing this like libertarian thing and yeah. it's kind of punk rock and he's, he's maybe he's got issues with his age or something, but it's like, no, that's very astute. Now that you mention it, he was completely high, yeah. right, fr- right from the get go. And, and when he's, when he's doing his HBO show, I, I mean, yes, he's divisive and he says things that piss people off. Good, good. Push our buttons a little bit. 
right? Especially if it's coming from who you think is an ally and then he disses your, your hero. You know, I want a smart person to diss Obama if, if you've got something there. You know, I, he didn't legalize weed. He didn't, he didn't do a lot of things that I still think are easy for presidents to do. Biden hasn't either. But, but I, of, of my era, I think Obama's the best. But if you've got if you've got some criticism, bring it. As long as you're coming from a good place, a, a real place, an honest place, and I think Bill Maher's that guy. Yeah, Bill Maher is is a pretty smart guy. Uh, he's, he's getting a little old. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing he mentioned on that particular episode, uh, he just had had dinner with Larry Charles, who directed Religious, Religious, and they're talking about doing a sequel, which I think would be great. Why do I know Larry Charles's name? Uh, Seinfeld. Oh, that's why. Yeah, he did a lot of Seinfeld <laughs> stuff. Yeah, the first credit you see right after at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I'm a very religious man, so I appreciate Bill's take on religion, and and I think, unfortunately, I think it's it's a little easy to to shoot at people's faith because it really is just faith. We do we don't have um, proof. Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith. Um, but. But when it bleeds into politics is where I draw the line, and, I, and, and Bill obviously does too. Yeah. You know, don't, because why should you as an atheist have to ad- adopt my beliefs, which are, again, just faith? What the fuck do I know? You know? So why can't you have an abortion? Because I think the Bible says that. That's so fucked up, and it's so anti-American. <laughs> yeah, it just reminds me of that great Woody Allen line, uh, you know, when he said he was an atheist and an agnostic. He didn't know which God not to believe in. <laughs> you're on Twitter a lot. Yeah. And you're a Canadian. I never knew this. I'm on Twitter way more than I should be. I've got two accounts now here in LA and Busplug. And I love them both. And I feel like my presence on Twitter for here in LA is helping the popularity of here in LA because it's, it's, it's a lot easier to do little, little things on Twitter than to get people to listen to an hour conversation of, of a guest they don't know and a host that they probably don't know and probably going to disagree with a lot, <laughs> especially in this episode. But it depressed me a lot during Trump's era. Like the first thing I would do is pick up Twitter in the morning and be like, what did that motherfucker do now? Are we all going to die today? Did you experience the same emotions? Uh, yes and no. Um, for some reason, just um, partly, uh, not so much anymore, but back then I used lists a lot. Mm-hmm. So when I looked at Twitter, it was filtered v- so people you respected. Yeah. Just the people I wanted to hear from. Right. So I, I followed, you know, I, well, two things about Twitter. I believe in the follow back approach. So mm-hmm. everyone that follows me, I follow. Okay. So that's always been my approach. I have a couple of different accounts too. Mm-hmm. And you know, on that, uh, my main account, personal Hollywood spin 4,000 followers, I would read 400 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Trump thing never bled too heavy into my... Good. Uh, Good. But, you know, look, as someone who was in the media back then, 
and I know you know the LA Times is close to your heart. It mm-hmm. pained me that the LA Times missed the Trump boat because they were Tronk owned until 2018. Which, which boat are you talking about? Um, getting hundreds of thousands of subscriptions because everyone just wanted to read about Trump all the time. It's what drove the New York Times to its heights, the mm-hmm. Washington Post, although the Post has kind of dwindled back really severely. But mm-hmm. it was Trump had this incredible effect on daily print newspapers. Sure did. And the LA Times was too late. Uh, by the time they fixed the CMS and, you know, Patrick Sunshion got things kind of, it was 2019, 2020. Yeah. The, the trunk, the trunk, uh, trunk era was, that poor paper went through so much. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'll say about trunk is uh, the corner they forced Sunshion into. Mm-hmm is one of the all-time great business deals. They do not get enough credit for selling the Times and the Union Tribune and a few other things, the printing press and stuff, mm-hmm. for $500 million. You think that's overvalued? Oh, it's ridiculous. What, what do you think it's worth now? Well, you know, he got rid of the um, Union Tribune, yep. which had $90 million in pension liabilities. Oof. And that's part of the main reason probably Patrick Sunshiong got rid of it mm-hmm. uh the scuttlebutt is he he sold it for like a dollar mm-hmm. you know to alden said if you take the li- the pension liability it's yours mm-hmm. and also of course because of that pension liability a non-profit option might not have been possible you know people are ragging oh. on sun Xiong. why didn't you sell it to someone else mm-hmm there's very few people that are going to take on a, a daily paper with a pension liability right now. Yeah. Uh, Gannett and Alden probably are the two. Right. Um, I'd say the LA Times is worth $200 million now, tops. Mm-hmm. Maybe $175. So, so it was almost like uh, what the founders of Twitter did to Elon. They were able to get double the value for something that isn't going to make big money in five years. No. No. And, you know... Sun Xiong denies that the Times is on the block, mm-hmm. but depending on who you read or talk to, that's not true. And, um, you know, I, I think 70%. Who, who had the scoop the other day? Joel uh, Bruno? Joe Bell Bruno, yeah. Yeah. Former LA Times guy. Yeah. I mean, after his report, you know, and all the denials uh, about the Times being uh, for sale and Penske maybe being yeah. interested in a joint venture. They released an internal document to employees. I don't know through your contacts if you heard about this, but they kind of shared with the rank and file the sort of P&L picture. Mm-hmm. And I think it showed that 70% of revenue comes from print subscribers right now. So that, which, is, which is dangerous. That 70-year-old dude who's yeah. still getting the paper in the driveway, it's where most of the money's coming from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that guy's going away soon. Not only is that guy going away, <laughs> so I'm 56... And up until um, COVID, I was a print subscriber also, and um, I was I was truly unemployed. I couldn't even get unemployment money. Like I was, I was selling books. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, I was barely making it, and so I couldn't keep my print subscription, mm. which broke my heart because I love the newspaper. You love reading it in the morning, and I love reading it because I see it all. Yeah, and you. Even though, I mean, my left hand is, is online, my right hand is print. And, and so 
I can't see everything online the way I can in the newspaper. And I will sit on, on my throne over there in the morning and read the whole damn thing. And sadly, it's easier to do that nowadays. It's smaller. But also because I know a lot of these people, I like seeing their bylines. I like seeing who's covering what. And, um, oh, this is a new name I haven't seen before. I like all that thing because my stupid head believes that the writer matters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last quick thing I'll say about the LA Times, in my opinion, uh, I don't think it ever would have happened with Sun Xiong because he's a child of South Africa print newspapers and he loves the whole... But if I had been in his shoes, I would have turned the Times into ProPublica. Mm-hmm. Stop covering sport. Yep. Stop covering entertainment. Yep. Just cover investigatively state, local, municipal, California. Yeah. And churn out, which is what they do. Right. In, in amazing fashion. And, you know, just, I don't need to read Dan Wojcicki covering the NBA in the LA Times. There's no point to that. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan Wojcicki, uh, if he's listening, great writer. Awesome writer. Um, and Sam Farmer for football. And, Fantastic. You know, are you familiar, uh, this big new website with a lot of money has launched called The Messenger? No. There, you know, it's the guy who used to run uh, and own The Hill, mm. and he also used to co-own The Hollywood Reporter. Mm. And he is trying to cover everything. Just mm-hmm. like, and it's dead in the water. Right. I mean, he's, he's doing politics, he's going to get into sports, and you're just looking at this going... What are you doing? So, so I think it's, I think you have an interesting concept with not covering sports in the LA Times, which would hurt me <laughs> because they have such a great history of it. Yeah. But it's a, it's not a 21st century history. And times have changed. And what I would have done, and maybe Patrick did this too, was, Tell these billionaire owners of the Lakers and the Dodgers and all these people that weren't billionaires when the LA Times were covering them with two, three, four reporters that you got to put ads in the paper. I'm sorry, but you're worth way more now than ever before. We need those ads more than ever. And even if you don't see um, uh, a bottom line justification for it, there's still empty seats to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. So... F you. You need ads in the LA Times. Yeah, that's a really good um, pondering that you've just brought up. And if you don't, we're going to stop. Because I can't pay for Plasky, who doesn't deserve any money, (laughs) unless you give me the ad. No, that's really interesting to wonder if Sun Xiong is comfortable and has crossed that line with his luxury box buddies. Or if he keeps it totally separate and has never... Because you're right. He's got access to like, you know... The six other richest people in LA. That's it's like, right. hey, dude, come on. Just talk to my guy, you know, take out recurring Wait. ads for the season, et cetera. What do we got to do with you? How do we help each other? But I don't see him as that guy. Do you? Uh, it's hard to say. I don't. He just seems like a doctor to me. Yeah. I don't know what his level of daily engagement is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it comes and it goes.
talk about Penske real quick. Sure. Because I think that's even closer to your wheelhouse. I like the idea of Penske buying the LA Times. I don't like the idea of one billionaire owning that much media in one city. I think it's weird that he owns all the trades, but I haven't seen a negative effect of him owning all the trades. And when he bought all the trades, I was thinking this. Tom Cruise has a scoop. And he goes to Hollywood Reporter because he's got a warmer feeling about them. Wouldn't Variety call uh, the, the, the CEO and say, why are you letting Hollywood Reporter have this scoop? Like, I thought those kind of internal struggles would happen. I haven't heard of any of those. So whatever this man is doing or whatever that group is doing over there seems to be working. They're all employed. I mean, they just had a little bit of a, a few layoffs in, uh, I think, Hollywood Reporter. But for the, for the most part, they've, they've stayed solid. They're competing, even though they're still under the same roof. It's working. Yeah, I mean, he's employing a lot of journalists. You know, the pay is good. Right. Um, he seems to like print. Yeah, he's committed to it. You know, he's... And, and how many billionaires are that? Yeah, I mean... I don't like uh, what Rolling Stone has become under him. You know, it's a different kind of publication, but it's thriving. They're doing a lot of events, and that's where the revenue is going to come I, from. I don't like the paywall in Rolling Stone. Yeah. But, you know, if they still made sitcoms, you know, can you imagine, like, one set at PMC? Because it is the oddest thing where a variety right. reporter will badmouth Deadline and yeah. a scoop. You know, you've got these three trades that are in the same building. Yeah. I think on adjacent floors. Probably parking in the same parking lot. Right. And, you know, take the, the elevator up together yeah. and it's like... Uh, that would be a great succumb, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. It, it's amazing. I don't know but how... But they don't... I don't think that they bicker as much. Am I missing uh, the bickering? No, no. You've, you've just identified a fascinating wrinkle. You know, all the agents and, and sources, how do they divvy it up? You right. know, Do they go to... Mike Fleming one day, and then, you know, do they go to Brent Lang another day? And yeah. I mean, it's got to be strange because yeah. they're all under the same roof. And, and they've been competitive since day one. Uh, they're still competitive. They, they also probably know that just like with print newspapers, this might one day end. Yeah, I, I think one of my favorite things about the trades under Penske is... Variety and Deadline especially, The Hollywood Reporter doesn't do it as much. They cover nonstop things that have nothing to do with Hollywood. Um, <laughs> yes. Shootings. Right. COVID vaccine news. Yeah. Uh, sports. You know, uh, the U.S. women's soccer team just tied. <laughs> and what they seem to have understood yeah. is, you know, it doesn't matter as long as it helps the bottom line. So, you know, That's right. they recently trumpeted record traffic and a good 30% is from all that stuff. Yeah. And Tony, if you go on their website and try to find that stuff, it's buried. It doesn't exist. Good. So it's, you know, a pretty smart way to get your hits up, right? Yeah. There's a layer of SEO coverage that right. gets out and gets picked up and tweeted and Facebooked and um, I like has that. nothing to do with your core mission. Right. I like that hustle, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Penske to me uh, 
makes no apologies. Right. Uh, doesn't follow the old rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd love to know if the weekly print magazines are making any kind of money. Or well, not. Well, but, but don't all those entertainment lawyers in Century City just subscribe to all of them anyways? And yeah, write it I off? guess there's enough of a base industry subscription. And um, right now, you know, with, with Puck and the Ankler, mm-hmm. and even, you know, to a certain extent, um, Airmail, those are all finding their niche, but none of those seem to be a real threat. So Penske's got kind of a lot. Uh, what, what about the rap? Yeah, the rap. You know, the rap... Um, cause, cause Sharon is, is a fighter too. Yeah. She's hanging in there. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of amazed that they're still around. I, I've been told that, um, a lot of her revenue comes from the event side internationally. Smart. So when, especially during COVID, mm-hmm. she got a lot of people to pay for virtual grill meetings and Q and A's, you know, people in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Wanting to learn, you know, what Hollywood's all about. Uh, there's a lot of great people that work at the rap. A lot of people have yep. come back to the rap, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. because she is a force, just like Harvey. She she is not going to quit. Yep. She, she'll be the last person out there. She will write stories. She tweets. She hosts those events you're talking about. You know, she's the moderator or the interviewer. And, and I, I appreciate people who hustle. And, and, you know, you need her now with Penske because yeah. she'll cover the Globes or, you know, and her staff, PMC or things like that, that it's either her or, you know, Stacey Perlman at the LA Times. There's only a few people outside the PMC bubble yeah. that write about a lot of stuff anymore, you know, because PMC is not going to cover a lot of, like, they're not going to do an inside job on the Globes. You know, they they own it. They own it Through now. and through now. Which which is the issue with billionaires consolidating all their assets like this. Because we do need to call bullshit on bullshitters. Yeah. And the Globe for years has been that. and um, But also very entertaining television for a night, and then you forget about it. And so, yes, we need the rap, and, but I don't think there is anybody at the LA Times who's really going to go at it at a critical point of view, maybe they'll write at the news portion. Yeah. But there's not a Nikki Fink. There's not. No. There's not. And the Times used to have, uh, who was the one in the 40s and 50s who was, um, she, like, she uh, she helped John Wayne make it big. Um, you're, you're not talking about Hedda Hopper. I or, am. Okay. Because I'm old. Yeah. I want a Hedda Hopper in yeah. one of these papers. That would be who, cool. Who just, who... I kind of feel like Hedda was a nicer version of Nikki, <laughs> if that's possible, because uh, Hedda wasn't nice. But um, but I feel like in L.A., there needs to be a media critic who is fearless, who is aggressive, who has no friends, and who's just going to tell you how it is. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, the city just doesn't allow that in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, it's and somehow Nikki was able to pull it off, which yeah. is why I can't wait for a really great biography on her, or better, a movie because I have ADHD. <laughs> so give me two hours of her just being a bitch and scaring the shit out of Hollywood, which who would have ever imagined that that's possible? Crazy, uh, you know, 
Nikki Fink, um, I had many, many dealings with her. Did you really? Oh, yeah. During my time at Media Bistro and Adweek. Did, did, did I, did I uh, char- uh, characterize her properly? Yeah, and I, I think she was a terrible person. Right. There's just no two ways about it. Yep. So when she died and a lot of the eulogies were glowing, it, it, again, <laughs> it was kind of the Sinead O'Connor thing. You know, it's like, so okay, so in reverse. Why were people so afraid of her? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I, I think it was... I didn't feel like she had real power. She you know, couldn't the o- stop a movie. No, the only thing I could ascribe it to was was the... She she hit the berating mother nerve, you know, just the the psychology of her abuse was kind of like your mom chewing you out. And I guess she just... Yeah, I mean, I was never afraid of her. I would laugh, you know, right. uh, right. half the time. But she would threaten me constantly, uh, insult me. Uh-huh. Uh, I had an equal number of phone call and email exchanges over about seven years. And I'll tell you, um, the oddest thing, in 2001, when I returned to journalism here, mm-hmm. my first gig was with the Downtown News in Los oh. Angeles. Love the downtown news. Did you work with John Rigardi? Uh, no, no, not John, but I, Sue Laris was the owner publisher then. Yeah. Really sweet lady. Uh, really quickly, she gave me carte blanche to interview architects, developers, media moguls. So I just wrote, she wouldn't edit a word. And, and during my time as a freelancer, so I wasn't in the, Nikki Fink became the editor. Of the downtown news? Yeah. I never knew. When she was desperate for a job and after she'd been uh, fired by every East Coast magazine, this was before she got into the LA Weekly with her print column. This was 2001. Okay. She was desperate. So she took a job as editor (laughs) of the Los Angeles Downtown News. Which, she's not qualified for that. How'd she get that gig? She must have just, you know, uh, I mean, I think Sue Laris was like, wow, you know, this person wants to do this. Yeah. But I had a conversation with her right after she got hired, you know, because uh, right. she was kind of talking to everyone. Yeah. And I said, yeah, well, you know, I'm just doing these uh, profiles of big downtown hitters. And, you know, I like to do the odd entertainment person. And she went, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, an area I know. And and she was there for like a nanosecond. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the visuals that a staff person there described to me was her jabbing herself in the thighs with insulin. You know, because even back then she was fighting diabetes pretty hard and was overweight. So uh, she blew in like a tumbleweed and (laughs) and then the whole time she was like looking for something else and it happened really quick. You know, uh, maybe we should we should wrap with this. Should Penske buy the weekly and make it good again? No, there's nothing there. No, I don't think so. People don't want to be entertained. Well, the alt weekly is is kind of you know, a dead model, even more so than a daily newspaper. So, I mean, there's, I mean, he could just start something. Uh, to start his own thing? But but that brand is iconic in LA. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, given his appetite for properties, if there was an opportunity to get LA Weekly for a fairly decent price, and, you know, there change. are some alt-weeklies doing really well around the country. They've adapted to the internet, Mm-hmm. and figured out the events arm. It's all about, yes, you know, getting people to a new restaurant that they're connected to. Right. And, you know, and that's where you make the money. So. But even at its peak, I was reading the ads more than the columns. Yeah. Of the weekly. No oh, disrespect to the columns, which of were course. good. But 
but it was the listings. Who's playing at the Roxy? Absolutely. And and I still think that print is the best way to, to get that information. I haven't picked up the LA Weekly in a long time. Me neither. And, and, and maybe I've aged myself out of wanting to, to go to the Roxy, but I've always been curious, even if I don't go to the shows, who are these bands? Look at these funny names. And I mean, it doesn't have to be 100 pages every week, but um, I, I feel like there's still gold there. And, and if I'm Penske and I'm thinking about long term, what a farm of new writers that came out of there. Yeah, that's true. You know, who might not ever work at Variety. You know, Jonathan Gold's never going to work at Variety. No, no. And so if, 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 I mean, Randall Roberts was the music critic of the LA Times right after being that at, at yeah. uh, the Weekly. And I'm sure there's millions of stories like that of all weekly people who cut their teeth there who turn into great journalists. Yeah. And so today, with the lack of blogs and the lack of small-town news, where are these kids going to learn how to write? Yeah, you know, I think with Penske, the LA Times is obviously more of a, 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 an attractive target, but I, yeah. I still don't understand what's in it for him. I guess he can see profit at the end there, plugged into the rest of it, but it's, I, I just don't see why he would get involved. Some, somebody uh, who was playing footsies with uh, either partnering with here in LA or something else said sometimes it's not just the property it's the network and so if he's if 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 he's able to say i've got all these clicks in my portfolio budweiser give me your budweiser ad and i'll spread them out gotcha and so different audience that plugs into his plateau of clicks yeah and it, and it's easier to get budweiser to, to buy into a billion hits than it is to individually sell every single title and it, and it might be easier for digital ads to, to be spewed out that way too. And so I would think, I mean, it diminishes what the LA Times is actually publishing, but when we're talking about ads and they haven't had ads in a long time, maybe it's time to think differently. No, you're very astute. You know, if you imagine Penske in his office with a little thing on the wall that says 1 billion monthly clicks, and that's what he's aiming for. And he, doesn't really care how he gets there. Right. But once he hits that number, whether it's, you know, LA Times or, you know, Hawaii Now or whatever, and then, he, then everything opens up for him in a way that people aren't aware of. Yeah, that's a really good point. Would you be okay with uh, him buying the Times? Do you think that there's a conflict? Um, I think, you know, it's sort of become clear that Sun Xiong is, is wavering a bit. Oh, it is clear? To me, just, I, I think... Because his denial was, I mean, was he's not put, firm he's put enough. in almost a billion dollars when you add up the purchase price and yeah. the negative investments and you know, thank God he had an empty building it, in in El Segundo. It is thank God, which but, I which I hear is still a little bit empty. Yeah, yeah, it's still a bit of a weird place apparently. But uh, I am in answer to your question, Tony, because Penske is one of three people that would want to buy it. Right. There's there's almost no one left. Who's the other two? Well. Murdoch? I, I think it's, you know... And Gan Alden? Yeah, Gannett, Alden. You know, the two big chains. But not, not Murdoch? No, don't think so. And I don't think Patrick would sell to him. No. And, you know, no other billionaire is going to... I mean, especially if they read about Jeff Bezos losing a quarter of a billion this year with The Post. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. The, the Post is on track to lose a lot of money this year. Um, because 
its Trump peak of subscribers has gone way down. Right. The New York Times has kept that number with Wordle and recipes and <laughs> wire cutter. I mean, they're, they're genius at what they've been doing. But the Post, everyone's kind of, I don't need that anymore. I don't need to read about the craziness in D.C. anymore. Okay, so we need to get you a full-time job, sir. <laughs> Do you want a full-time job? Sure. Do you want to go back to writing about Hollywood? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, there's not too many places left. Um, well, you just mentioned a half dozen of them. Yeah, that's true. You don't want to work for any of the trades? I, I don't think they'd hire me. Uh, I used to cover them pretty critically. Good. Um, but, you know, what, one... What do they want? A yes man? One interesting property to watch. Are you keeping an eye on LA Magazine with Shirley Halperin moving in there? You know, it's hard for me because they've blocked me on Twitter. Oh, jeez. But yes, of course I do. Yeah. Of course I do because it's it's... No, I haven't seen what she's been up to. Educate me. Uh, well, she took it over from um, you the know, dude Ma- Meyer Roshan, yeah, who had turned it into a more of a national, political, yeah, right wing. Uh, really cool. She's bringing it back to uh, city focused, good, brand friendly. Yeah, like she just wrote a piece about the new Hermes store opening at the Topanga Mall. Okay, that's where it's going now. Right. So. So upscale? Well, you know, it was sold to Mark Garegos, the attorney. Uh-huh. And another attorney. They uh who did Garegos uh uh defend? I can't remember. Cuz he was one of those Hollywood guys, right? Yeah, was he in the OJ thing or I can't remember. No. I don't think he, he was an OJ guy. But but something big like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, another no, trial of the century. He's super high profile. Yeah. So, uh it's going very much back into the fold of a traditional city magazine. Los Angeles is going to be about Los Angeles. Crazy. Which is good, right? Makes sense. It's great. I mean, because it's a giant city filled filled with interesting people, interesting stories, and money. Why, why should we peer outside any more than, than, I mean, that's what this podcast is about. (laughs) Well, you know, LA Magazine too, uh, they're already, you know, it's all about events and they sponsor right. all these things and yeah. uh, invite members to come to a, you know, a, a preview tasting or, yeah. I mean, the actual monthly glossy magazine, I can't even remember the last time I saw it lying no, around. No, but, but if I was uh, Mark, I would go back to just either giving them to all the hotel rooms there are. Or giving it to at a great price. Good, good point. Because yeah. again, I can tell my advertisers of Universal Studios or whatever the tourists go to, advertise here, and um, you're going to hit all the tourists. I'll tell you what, you, you kick that up even one more notch and you uh, do a deal with Airbnb oh. and get it into all the Airbnb listings of oh, a certain threshold. Right. And if you have to, add the publications charge. <laughs> So it's just sitting there on the table when you walk in the first time. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we, found, we have found a job for you. <laughs> you, can, you can work sales for uh, Shirley. Hey, knock, knock. Hey, are you an Airbnb? <laughs> hey, open the window. Richard, what a pleasure to finally meet you. Same here, Tony. It's been 20 years almost, and we finally met in person. Yeah. This has been great. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it would have been sooner if we went to the same Vons, but... I go to the one in Glendale, and you go to the one right here, right? Yeah. I would have run into you many times. <laughs> You're a Vons person, too. It's, it's my closest grocery store. So yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. 
people should follow you on your Twitter where? Uh, yeah, they can find me at uh, Hollywood Spin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've also, you know, last question for you, Tony. I've got this account. I haven't, I'm kind of kissing it goodbye. It's called Media Blotter. Hmm. About 17,000 followers. And it was kind of... Don't, don't. Yeah, take a look at it and, you know, let me know what you think. It's in the vein of Charles Kuralt. Yeah. And Paul Harvey, remember him? The rest and this of the story. Is the rest of the story. It highlights offbeat media coverage. And, and you just sick of it? Well, since Elon took over Twitter, the engagement has just dropped through the floor. Pay the eight bucks. Yeah, maybe I should for that one. Because I'll tell you, it has worked for here in LA. And that's not the reason why I paid the eight bucks. I paid it so that this interview, I can upload the whole thing. And I think it's it, because it's video, quote unquote. Um, and I'll add some pictures or whatever, but to be able to, to publish my podcast through Twitter is worth eight bucks to me. What kind of engagement do you see compared to your other account with, with the verified giant? So difference. a huge difference, right? So, so, uh, the, 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 the actor who talked trash about the, we know where you live guy, you know, he deleted that on his Instagram and I was like, should I put it on Twitter? Of course I should. He said it. He's an actor. It's, it's awesome what he said. I saw it. It's not a threat. I saw your tweet. Yep. Right. It did 8 million. So you put that up after he deleted it. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. It's Harvey Levin move. Right? Oh, no, no. That's that's fine. He put it out there. You put I'm it out. Not... I mean, I felt a little bad because it's like the spirit of him deleting it, I should honor. But also, it's out there in the world, man. You can't unring the bell. And the internet. Yeah. You know, about that post... He was talking very clearly about Bob Iger. I don't know if it was that clear. Well, Iger has a $27 million home. Oh, and that's what he but mentioned. But Iger isn't the guy necessarily who said, who said we got to bleed them out of their houses. That's so that right. might have been the only reason he deleted it. Right. Where he right. conflated Iger with something else. But, you know, it's all the same spirit. And, you, and you've got people around you who are like, come on, bro. You're, you're not dead. Do you want a job next year? It was a, <laughs> it was a great video. I mean, I was scared was. after watching. It was like it was Sopranos great. level, you know. It like, was. It, so, but but because he also deleted it, was the reason why mine went off because you couldn't find the original source, and the only person that that actually ruined my my uh, pace was Harvey. <laughs> he embedded it in his own oh. video. Didn't mention here in LA at oh, all. That Everybody, sucks. It's the game. I didn't make the video. That's true. It's not yours to begin with. Right. So that, that's so, fair. But, but but this is why I literally take my hat off to Harvey. He knows how to play the game. Yeah, he doesn't miss a beat, right? Because that's, for him, kind of low-level stuff. But he found that. He found it, or his people found it. Yeah. I mean, it, it went 8 million. So everybody's going to see it in that universe. But, um, but everybody else had been either quote-tweeting it or just retweeting it or, or commenting underneath it. Or... Even if they embedded it in their news stories, because it ended up on Yahoo and all these things, there's here in LA's name, which was the ultimate point of doing it, was I just want more people to listen to your episode and people <laughs> like you. And if I can get that through some tweets, that's better than paying for, for an ad. Yep. Well, you know, final thought for all of those out there on Twitter, considering leaving Twitter, you know, I just feel it's free. Yep. It doesn't owe you anything. Right. So stop complaining about it. If you don't like the X, if you don't like, <laughs> you know, some of the 
tweets because the algorithm now goes a lot off your likes. Yeah. Whatever you like is what it populates the for you mm-hmm. stream. Then just get off, you know? Yeah. Uh, I am loyal to the end. I think you are too with Twitter. Of course. Yes. Um, people always underestimate Elon. I mean, he's a crazy guy, but uh, I think he doesn't really care if it turns into a platform with just a million people mm-hmm. all banking and, and, you know, he's taking it in a profitable, hopefully, direction. Uh, so it's almost inevitable that, that what it was, it couldn't be sustained because it was losing, you know, a buttload of money. Mm-hmm. Well, on that word, buttload. <laughs> buttload. We thank you a buttload for being here today. And um, I hope it's not another 20 years till we, we cross paths. Definitely not, Tony. Thank you, Richard. Yep. How great was Richard? You know who we'd go and see that giant rock across the street from Park La Brea with? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, are you eating okay? Really? Here's a couple bucks. Treat yourself. Shout out to our Patreons. Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinke, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, Greg Orr, and our newest Patreon, Phil Stark. To be a Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash here in LA and hurt yourself giving. Want to support us, but you just bought your back-to-school outfits and mama mia. Target has never been so expensive. You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. I dare you to post two. Tweet something nice about us. If you want to, just tweet something mildly generous. Like, I didn't want to kill myself after I listened to the latest episode of Here in L.A. Anytime you see me tweet about an episode, just retweet it. Bleep. And for God's sake, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled, and then it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Spotify. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who Hollywood has given a lifetime pass to. Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and newsroom and news junkies everywhere. Thank Thank you, you, Patriots. Patriots.